Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, good morning, everybody. How are you doing today, TCC? Oh, that was weak. How are you doing today, TCC? You had an hour of sleep. It's in the spring, you get cranky, right? Uh, Just a couple things real quick. For those of you that don't know, and I'm just going to spread this real quick and we're going to pray. Some of you know Pastor Trish. She is, uh, you know, I tell her all the time, you know, you are the most fabulous pastor we have. Um, She had an event yesterday, a a brain event, a stroke. Um, They were able to get the clot. Uh, She's in healing mode right now. Um, We're going to pray for her and the family. Do me a favor, you know, Trinity is about a thousand strong. So I don't need a thousand of you to give her a call today to see how she's doing. We're just going to pray for her. We're going to storm heaven. Uh, So do me a favor, grab the hand of the person next to you. She has been a faithful, faithful pastor of our house for a long time. And uh, she is important to us. So we're just going to pray that God would raise her up. Heavenly Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we pray for Trish and Derek and for the whole family, Lord Jesus. But Father, right now we pray for Trish. We pray that God, that you would raise up her mortal body. Father, we pray that you'd heal any of the effects of this stroke in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray that your healing virtue would start to move from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet, Lord God. Father, we pray for complete restoration in the name of Jesus. You are the great physician. You said in your word that by the stripes you took on Calvary, we are healed. And right now we claim that for Pastor Trish. In the name of Jesus, let healing be there right now. Father, touch her. We pray that God, that your spirit would just hover in that hospital room right now in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I did talk to Derek this morning. He said that she is starting to become a little ornery, which means things are about right on track. So just pray. And we'll give you updates as we continue to move ahead with what's going on with her and with New City and stuff. Uh, One other thing we just wanted to make you aware of, um, we as a church have been growing Uh, As an elder team, we've been praying about this. As a staff, we've been praying about this. And it seems like the time has come that we're going to be adding a third service. Um, It'll be a Saturday night service at 6 o'clock. We'll be adding that in February. So the first weekend in February, I think it's the second and the third or the third and the fourth. Uh, You'll see more stuff coming out for that. We're really going to trumpet it hard uh, in January. So, again, if you know some people that can't be here on a Sunday morning because they work, or if that's another service for you, then that would open up a little bit more space for our morning services. So how many of you know that God is good? I'm excited that we're starting a new series called Overflow. We're going to talk about abundance. Abundance is one of my most, most favorite things. That's probably why I, I really enjoy the Chinese buffet. Um, so we had something strange happen uh, last week, actually about two weeks ago now. I uh, got up in the morning, uh, so we know Toby's committed this to memory. Sunday night is what? It's trash night. You take the trash out. (laughs) Herein lies the struggle. The struggle is real, beloved. Be a test later, dang it. So I come out Monday morning or Monday um, afternoon. I come back from work. And the craziest thing happened. Somebody ran into our trash cans, and they hit, they hit the recycle can and blew it into like a million pieces. The top was someplace. The wheels were in the neighbor's yard. It was absolutely nuts. So I didn't know what to do, so we went in and we called the trash company. We were like, hey, we had a, we had a fatality. The trash can's done. You know, it's the, 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 the thing. And they said, don't worry. We're, we're going to bring you another one eventually. So it was funny. They called us and said, we're going to bring one 
you know, on Tuesday. And the weirdest thing, I was like excited to see what this new, because our trash cans were pretty beat up. They were pretty tore up. So literally I'm thinking, oh, they, this is the trash company. They ain't going to be here when they said they're going to be here and all these other things. And lo and behold, I come back on, on the Tuesday and there in the front yard is a brand new container for recyclables. And I got excited. I went up to it. I looked at it. I said, man, it's here. I text Robin the trash cans. And she goes, really? She came out. We're looking at it. It's clean. It's shiny. We pull it up. And we're looking at it. It's, I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. I looked at her and said, oh, my gosh. Has our life been reduced? We're getting excited about a trash container that they dropped off. How many of you know when you think about life and your life now, you know, when you're a young person, you don't think you're going to get excited about stuff like that? The trash can, right? But when you think about it, I mean... How far has your life been reduced to? What are the things now that jazz you compared to what you used to do? Do you remember when life was an adventure? You couldn't wait to experience a sunrise or a sunset. Now at 9 o'clock, you're like, eh, I better be getting to bed now. Right? I remember when, um, when Robin and I, we first got married, um, we, uh, we were working at a church in, in, in Brooksville, Florida. And uh, the one thing, the church is a great church, and they, they really protect you. One of the things that the church there did for us is it protected us from the evils of actually having a, a, a job that paid minimum wage. You know what I'm talking about? So they kept us from any type of, you know, of being spoiled by the evils of money because we had none. So we, we had a very tight budget. We'd go to, 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 to the store. We had a Piggly Wiggly. You ever been to a Piggly Wiggly? We go to Piggly Wiggly, and we get ramen noodles because we could afford that. We get hot dogs because we could afford that. You've not lived till you've had ramen noodles with little hot dogs cut up into them. Oh, my gosh. Kind of like macaroni and cheese with little hot dogs in them. And then, every, you know, we did a lot with hot dogs. And I remember we were there, and the family in the church, they invited us out to come over to their house for dinner. Now, they were like the family in the church. They were scuba divers. This is in Florida. They had boats. They had all this stuff. And they would go lobster fishing twice a year where they'd go down there and they would not, you know, they'd have their little, their little lobster traps, but they would spearfish lobsters and they just would bring all these things in. So I still remember as we walked up to the house, the smell of the house and everything, and we walked in and they're like, we hope you like surf and turf. And I'm like, is that like hot dogs and fish sticks? What is surf and turf? I don't understand. <laughs> and they had before us a spread that was absolutely ridiculous. They had lobster in, in, in quantities I've never seen before from that day and even since. And they had steaks off the grill. And they're like, you just come and you eat as much as you want. So we're there with the family. And I'm, you know, I, I'm up for a challenge. All you can eat is not like, to me, it's not like a suggestion. It's a challenge. You've thrown the gauntlet down. We're going to get this done. And I, was, I still remember that night just sitting and eating. And, and there was fun and there was laughter and there were stories. And there was a bunch of us there. And it was absolutely incredible. And I remember I actually had so much lobster, so much steak, I, like, wasn't really hungry for that for, like, an hour, you know, <laughs> afterwards. Then I'm like, bring it on, baby. And as I left, I remember thinking to my, myself, and, and, and Rob and I were talking in the car, I was like, this was so beautiful and this is so good. That was our first, I think, real experience with abundance when it came to hospitality in the church. You know, there's one thing to survive on ramen noodles and hot dogs. It's another thing to be invited to a table where abundance overflows and things that you just look at in the store. You know, when you get to the store and you press your nose against the freezers because you're like, boy, that lobster's really expensive because you can never buy it, right? 
It was beyond anything we could ever think and imagine. And I can't help but think this. That is how God interacts with us. Do you know that God cares for you so much? He satisfies every need that you have. He satisfies your emotional needs, he satisfies your physical needs, and he satisfies your spiritual needs. The God that we serve is a complete God. The God that we serve is more than enough. Now, not only does God give you what you need to survive, God's not about just survival. He pours so much in and through your life that there's plenty there to share with others. He gives you enough things and enough heart and enough love And he expects you to not just keep it all to yourself. He expects you to share that with the world around you. We live and we move in the overflow of God's blessings to us. So for us as believers, what does it look like for us to live in this way? Not just to live in a spiritual surviving life, but to live in overflow. I think you have to start with one of the first promises that God gives us. It's abundant life. If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 10. This would be our anchor verse today, but we're going to jump to a few other things. And it's a verse that's very familiar to people, and and we read it, and it's on greeting cards, but sometimes we don't know what it means. John 10.10 says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He gives us the contrast, but Jesus says this, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, there's a difference between life and abundant life. There's a difference between survival and abundance. We know this. The enemy likes to reduce your life to survival. Paycheck to paycheck. Event to event. He loves to pour the mundane in your life. How many of you know people that live but they've never been truly alive? Don't be that, please. I'll tell you what. I've had the the privilege of sitting next to people when they've taken their last breath. Quite a few. And none of them have ever came back and said, boy, I regretted if I could have just gone to work a little bit more. None of them said, boy, I regretted if only I could have slimy lima beans one more time, that would be great. They've never regretted all of their lowest moments. They've regretted throwing away relationships, and they've regretted missing out on life moments. They come and they leave and they're gone. Sometimes if we're not careful, beloved, you and I can live our lives in that place, that place of survival. So when God talks about abundant life, what is he talking about? What does that mean? Is God talking just about your material needs? I mean, is abundant life, you know, when you win the lottery? By the way, if you win the lottery, we do accept a tithe off of that. We will not turn that away. Hallelujah, right? But what is it? Is it just material needs? Is it, you know, when God comes in your life, everything changes? Is it like, how many remember the old show, The Beverly Hillbillies? You know, they find the black gold, Texas tea. And then the Clampets go from what? They go from like obscure living in the woods, shooting and eating squirrel, to living in Beverly Hills. And you got, got, you know, like like Granny and and, and Jethro Bodine and Ellie Mae and all this. Is that what abundance looks like, just material stuff? No, it's not just that. The life that Jesus promised us goes far beyond the physical. If abundance in life to you is always connected to a dollar sign, my friend, you're not as rich as you think you are. That's not what the treasure of life is. It's not about money. It's about the gift of who he is. So what does that look like for us as believers? How can we live an abundant life, a life that is full of God's promises in his heart for us? If you've got your Bibles, turn to John 15. 
Uh, if you have your, your phone with you today, if you go, you have our app, you click on the app, you get all my notes. If you have the U version of the Bible, look for live events, look for Trinity, and you get all my notes. If you've got the old paper Bibles, that's cool too. John 15, 1 through 5 says this. I am the true and sprouting vine. The farmer who tends to the vine is my father. The farmer who tends to the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting up and propping up the fruitless branches. So here's the first thing you need to know about living an abundant life when it comes to everything. By the way, abundant life only comes from one place. You have to be connected to Jesus. You have to be. You can't live on the peripheral You can't look at him from a distance. You have to be connected to him. That's what it means to be connected to the vine. So what is the first thing that we know when you live abundantly when you're connected to the vine? We know this. First, that God sustains you. He is everything that you need. And when we we walk the path that he plans for us, when you do things his way, there's sustenance in that, and he takes care of your needs. Now, this is one of the things that kind of messes us up a little bit. Sometimes we think when we, when we follow God's way that we're never going to have any trouble. Jesus never promised that you and I would never have trouble in this world. In fact, he told us the opposite. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Go team. Why did he tell us that we would have trouble? So it wouldn't take us by surprise. But still, what do we do when trouble befalls upon us? <gasps> We're surprised. We don't know what to do with it, even though Jesus promised it would come. Do you know anybody on this planet, anybody, your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, can you tell me one person on this planet that never experienced any trouble? If you're here, write a book and I will buy it. All of us experience trouble. We do. So our approach to looking at our life has to change. You know, sometimes we forget this, that our life is built on seasons. Life is not a constant. There are variables to life. Life has ups and life has downs. How many of you are a sports fan? If you're a sports fan, you know, I watched the Steeler game this last week. We won 20 to 16. By the time the game was done at like 11.30, I couldn't go to sleep because my heart was doing this. Because the Steelers drive me Crazy. Sometimes we look great, and other times we look bad. And it's up and down. That's what our lives are like sometimes. There's ups and there's downs. And along with the ups and the downs, here's another variable. Do you know that the older you get, you approach life in a different way? You don't approach life as a 60-year-old the same way you approach life as a 20-year-old. It's just different. That means this. In life, sometimes you're on top of the mountain, and in other times, you're in the lowest parts of the valley. And if you're not careful as a human, you can allow your emotions to dictate your faith more than the Word and more than the Holy Spirit that's active in your life. Now, here's the truth about emotions and seasons. You're going to have good seasons, and you're going to have not-so-great seasons. We know this. God is with you in every season of life. He sustains you. He sustains you on the mountaintop. He gives you what you need to get to the mountaintop. And he also sustains you in the valley. When you're in the valley, the Bible tells us this. He doesn't run from you. He doesn't shy from you. He doesn't abandon you. The Bible tells us this. He comes in close. He nurtures you. He holds you. The Holy Spirit, the comforter. I remember, man, now this has been like probably 25 years I get older. 
You know, Robin and I were at a church in Chicago, and I was a worship arts dude, and I was just learning, starting to do some teaching. I'm in my, my mid-20s, early 30s, and this weird thing happens. Robin's visiting the family. Uh, I think we just had Tyler. Maybe We had Tyler and Tori, so I was probably about 29. And uh, I woke up one day, and I just felt like I, had, like I was sore. I had the flu or something like that. And I was a little bit achy. You ever been achy? So that ain't going to be a big deal. So I, I called the church. I said, listen, I'm not going to be in. I'm not feeling well. I'm just feeling a little achy. So I go to sleep on the couch. The next thing I remember is my lead pastor shaking me, trying to wake me up. And I said, hey, man, what's going on? What's going on? He says, TJ, because nobody's heard from you in like two days. I said, two days? I slept on that couch. I passed out for like two days. And I went to get up, and I couldn't move. I had this condition. I don't know what was going on. So they took me to the hospital, and they found out I had the... I had lactic acid was elevated in my body everywhere. I couldn't hardly walk. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't do this with my fingers. I could barely talk. It was like everything was shutting down. So they called Robin. She was in Pittsburgh. They're like, you got to get back now. Something's going on with TJ. Took me to the hospital. The only thing worse than going to the hospital is going to the hospital, and they're not able to figure out what's going wrong. Well, you know, what's wrong with you? When the doctors are like, I don't know. I'm like, that's not comforting at all. Perhaps they should give you a class that said, when you don't know, you're like, we're working on it, you know? And the strangest thing happened to me. Over that, that next two weeks, more and more of my body started shutting down to where I was almost like a statue. I couldn't move. I could barely stand up. I needed help to tie my shoes. I needed help to go to the bathroom. I could not do anything. And I remember sitting there, you know, two weeks in, and they still didn't know what was going on. It was like, well, Lord, is, is this it? Are you, are you taking me out here as, a, as an early 20-year-old? And then... That wasn't the worst part. The worst part was eventually it kind of stopped. And then I started this slow recovery process, even though they didn't know what happened. And little by little, I start to get movement back. I look back now in retrospect, and that, it took about four months for me to be able to move again and be able to speak again clearly. Now, think about this. You know what I do for a living? At that point, you know what I did? I played guitar, I led worship, and I taught. How many of you know it's tough to, to do that if you can't move your hands and your fingers and nothing comes out of your mouth that's intelligible. So me and the Lord had some conversations. And I'm like, Lord, what is going on? Did I do something wrong? Don't we go there? Hmm? Did I do something wrong? Did I miss something? And my, my, my conversations kind of went like this. Lord, you know, you gave me so much and I got this purpose and blah, 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 blah. And I don't understand what's going on. And I clearly remember this. One day I was feeling sorry for myself and I was starting to get better, but still nothing being able to do what I should be doing. And I remember the Lord spoke to me. He says, son, do you know I love you? And I was like, of course, Lord, I know you love me. And he's like, do you know that I love you, not what you do for me? And it occurred to me, I didn't know that. I was still built on, you know, works. What can I do for you, Lord? And I know none of you deal with this. It's just me, right? You know how you can tell if you deal with just your faith is built on how you do? It's, you know, if you have a bad day and you think, well, God can't use me. I had a bad day. As if you had anything to do with God using you. God can use a donkey. He can use you on your bad day, beloved. You are not, you are not the filter for God being able to use you for all the stuff that he wants to do. Now, don't get me wrong. You want to live a life that's, 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 that's holy and pure because those, you're used for noble purposes then. But understand this, that is not a prerequisite for God being able to use you. That's a flawed philosophy. It's, it's a misunderstanding. 
And God, he, he took me to task and he helped to remind me in that moment that it wasn't about all the things that I do. It's about my place in, in his life, which was I'm a son. I'm an image bearer. Totally revolutionized how I saw God. It had made me appreciate more and lessen a little bit more on the offerings that I gave him. Because I understood that they came from him, not from me. Are you with me? Life is important. God doesn't throw us away when we're at the bottom of our, our places. There were times in that, in that season for me, I felt like David. I cried out, Lord, what is going on? You know, I, I feel like I'm going to die. This is terrible. He doesn't throw us away in those times. He brings us close. Don't confuse the hard season with God's pleasure in your life. Abundant life means this. It means that God sustains you in every season. Sustenance is a beautiful gift. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8 says this. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and their confidence. Look at verse 8. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. It doesn't matter the season. When you're connected to the Lord, when, when, when he's the vine and we're the branches, we produce fruit in every season. Your environment has nothing to do with the fruit that you're producing. It's the source. It's who you're plugged into. Are you here today and are you in a hard season? I want to encourage you. Don't throw your hands up. Don't run away. If you're in a hard season, this is the time to get closer, to dig in, to get your roots as deep as possible into the waters of life, the living water, God. So do me a favor. Bow your heads just for a second. If you're in a hard season right now, just have a conversation with God. The Holy Spirit speaks to you just like he speaks to me, and he hears you. He hears your voice. Just tell him, say, Lord, this is where I'm at right now. Offer yourself to him and just tell him how much you need him. And then give him an invitation to come in close. I love what Kelly said this morning. Some of y'all just need to take the hands off the wheel. Let God take over. You've been steering for a long time, and look where it's got you. Invite him. All right, you can open your eyes. Hold on to that. Now, if in that thing you're here today and you're like, man, maybe I don't know God in a way that, that I think I should or God's drawing me to, and you need help on that journey, before you leave, it, when we're done, we're going to have some people up here in the front. You come up here and you tell people, say, man, show me how to have a relationship with God like that, and we will. Psalm 34, 18 says this. When someone is hurting or brokenhearted, the eternal moves in close and revives them in his pain. Allow God to revive you this morning, bring you in close. Abundant life means this first, God sustains you. Let's keep reading. Look at John 15, 2. It says this, he cares for the branches connected to me by lifting up and propping the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. This takes us to the second thing that is a sign of abundant life. We're connected to the vine because we're connected to the vine. He sustains us. The second thing that he does is we're connected to him is that he shapes us. He doesn't leave you just to grow wild on your own. He shapes you because he's a plan and he's a purpose for your life. 
I love to garden. Gardening's kind of like my, one of my little things. It's my spring thing. So it's kind of sad. We're, you know, everything's dying. Had some fig trees. Didn't get one stinking fig off the trees this year. But I'm hopeful for next year. We get to dig up the potatoes today to see what potatoes we have in the bounty. I'm excited. And, and, and I'm, I, I'm pained to admitting this. One of the things I was really looking forward to never really produced what I thought it would. I was down at the Gateway little place here, and they, I saw in one of the pallets they had northern kiwis. Now, I love kiwis. They're delicious. Did you know that they, they have developed a strand of kiwi that is not tropical, but it's made to be grown in our region? So they told me. So I saw this thing, and I was captivated by these, these kiwi vines, and I thought, this is going to be great. I'm going to be the only house in our little plan that's going to have fresh kiwis. I'm going to walk out there. It's going to be like a Disney movie. Birds will be singing. They'll be tweeting to me. I'll sing back to them, and I'll pick kiwis, you know, like real life, right? So I planted these kiwi things, and I learned this too. When it comes to kiwi vines, northern ones, you have to have a boy and a girl kiwi so they can have baby kiwis, apparently. I didn't know this, but you learn. I'm learning, you know? So I planted my, my, my kiwi on one side, the other one on the other side. And the whole time I'm doing this, Robin is just looking at me, shaking her heads. She goes, I'm telling you right now, she loves kiwi. She goes, there ain't no such thing as a northern kiwi. She goes, that guy sold you magic beans, Jack. <laughs> you know? So I was determined. I'm out there, I'm talking to the kiwi. I'm, Come on, you, we can do this. We have to prove her wrong. I need something, please. So I watched these kiwis grow and the vines and all these things. And I still don't know if they're kiwis. They're probably weeds. I built the trellis and everything. And you know what I got out? I got nothing. But on the other side, we have, we have some grapevines. And, you know, and how many of you, you got some grapevines at your house at all? So for the, the Greeks, we, we don't just, you know, it's not just about the grapes, but we eat the leaves. We have these things called domades, which is like stuffed grape leaves, which are, dare I say, delicious. So we'll gather the leaves and stuff like that. So the grapes went crazy this year. So I built a trellis for, for the grapevines. I have one on each side. And, and the craziest thing is this. I built this trellis. It, it, it looks amazing. It's very clear on where I want the vines to go. But they never stay on the trellis. They get up there and they're like, woo, ah, woo. They go all over the place. So you got to tie them to, to, to the place, and you got to get them to do stuff, or else you know what happens? They, they run off the trellis, they go down, they go into the dirt, and they're, they're not fruitful because they just kind of like, you know, do their own thing. So the grapes are not fruitful when they do their own thing. They're not fruitful when they do their own thing. Does that sound familiar, beloved? How many of you, lo- you know, we, we love to do our own thing? You know, we're Frank Sinatra Christians. I did it my way. Now, I know you're like, oh, pastor, I don't do that. Don't we? It's interesting to me. Modern Christianity has almost turned into a smorgasbord buffet of whatever we want to eat. Now, don't get me wrong. I love a good buffet. Can you tell? But when you go to the Chinese buffet, how many of you know you don't have to eat everything on that buffet? You eat in excess what you want. There's somebody out there ready to tell you what you want. This is why it's important. You open the word. You get your nose in the book for yourself. We base who we are, what we do, not off of what other people tell us to base it off of. We base it off of what the word says. 
That is our rudder. That is our guide. Isn't it interesting we have one book in 30,000 denominations in the United States of America? It's crazy. Why do we have that? Because we love to do our own thing. We love to do things our way. Even though God has given us rails and he's told us what he wants us to do, we like to do our own stuff. We had... um, we did some office remodeling at the well. We had these big old, every desk that we've ever had from the well, at least since I've been here, it's been a hand-me-down. How many of you love hand-me-downs? You, you had bigger brothers and sisters, and then, you know, you're the little one, you're the, you're the baby of seven, and you're wearing stuff that was out of style like, like 12 years ago, right? So we had these big dog desks that we got for free, and we were grateful to get them, but they were huge. Our offices at the well are like the size of a postage stamp, and we'd have all these, it'd be like a desk and a chair, and you'd sit back there with like this ponderosa of desk space. So we decided to get some smaller desks, so we ordered them off Amazon, and I remember the days they showed up, there were like these little boxes, I'm like, how on earth did they get a desk in that? And then you open it up, and like 80,000 pieces fell out. So we, we, we all started to put our desks together. And how many of you are good at following plans? How many of you think plans are just suggestions that you don't even look at? How many of you take those things as, as challenges? Can I build it without the plan? So I, I'm a little bit of both. I'm like, I can see the picture. I can figure this thing out. So I started building this desk. And I built it and I built it and I built it and I got it done. And I had like some heavy parts left over. Like, one of the parts I had left over was like this big dog, I mean, huge, like, almost like a steel beam. And I'm like, this should be in this desk somewhere. I don't think they put this in here just to, you know, just to make the box heavier. So we got done, and I'm looking through the plans. And it's funny, because Alex missed the same beam that I missed. <laughs> it was funny. And I looked at it, and the desk was a desk. But when you pushed on it, I was like, don't push in that too hard, because that desk, I don't think that will hold up my coffee cup let alone my computer and, and, you know, and my exhausted hands when I throw myself on there. It looked like a desk. It functioned kind of like a desk, but it wasn't built right. So you know what it couldn't do? It couldn't hold the weight that it was supposed to. So I had to go in, and instead of taking my desk apart, I had to, to finagle it just to, to, make it, to make it just a little bit stronger, but it's still not the way that the engineers designed it because they didn't follow the plan. I built it wrong. Looks fine on the outside, but it's missing a little power when it comes to function. You see, when we talk about a fruitless life for believers, it means this. You look good on the outside. I'm a Christian. You say the right things. You do the right things, but you can tell that there's a difference, and you're missing something under the hood by the fruit that you produce. Are you producing fruit or not? Now, what we've done, too, sometimes in church... (laughs) Is, is we've, oh, this is tough. Everybody say, Pastor TJ. Say, we love you, because Jesus said we had to. <laughs> Sometimes, in order to, to make it about us, is we've taken the fruit that we're supposed to produce, and we've made it, we, we, we've lessened it. Producing fruit for us as believers doesn't mean that you're just not mean to that person at Walmart. Producing fruit for us as believers doesn't mean that you don't kick the dog every night at the house. Producing fruit for us as believers means this. You exemplify the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, you know, gentleness, self-control. It also means this. We replicate. Disciples make disciples. Fruit for believers means this. We don't just operate in the natural, but we are open and we operate in the supernatural. 
that is fruit. The Bible's pretty clear on what we're supposed to be as believers. Jesus said, I do all this great stuff. Oh, and by the way, greater things will you do. That's our fruit. It's not just about intellect, and it's not just about what happens internally to us. It's how we affect the world around us. Fruit. When you follow God's path, that's what happens. Even Jesus for us, he he modeled this for us. Staying on the rails and submitting his heart to the will of the Father. He said this in John 5, 19. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does also. When you submit your your life to, to the spirit, to the trellis that God has prepared for you, when you abide, when you stay close, when you stay with his plan, you bear fruit. John 15, 5 says this. Yes, I am the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much. Everybody say much. Kind of sounds like abundance, doesn't it? Will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So know this. God is always shaping our lives. He's always you know, messing with the direction of our life to keep us on the trellis so that we can be fruitful. That's his heart. So not only does he he keep us on track and gently nudge us as sheep as we kind of run all over the place, but then he also does another thing for us. He prunes things in us that are contrary to him. What is pruning? Have you ever done pruning before? You know, pruning is, is, can be, you know, I like pruning way more than weed pulling. Weed pulling, just beat me with a stick. I hate pulling weeds. But pruning's kind of nice because, especially if you see the plant or the flower the way that it could be. This is the definition of, of pruning from dictionary.com. To trim a tree, shrub, or bush by cutting away the dead or overgrown branches or stems, especially to increase fruitfulness and growth. That's the definition of pruning. So we have these things in our lives that are growing in us that actually take away from the abundant life that God promised us. We have these feral shoots that grow in our lives that have nothing to do with the purposes that God has for us. Things that take from us, but they don't feed us. We carry things sometimes that we've never been designed to carry, extra weight, and the weight keeps us from being who God created us to be. I I used to love to backpack, and I want to kind of do it again, and one of the things I learned early on in backpacking was this. Heavy is cheap, light is expensive. You can buy all kind of gear, that's heavy at a cheap price. But if you want the light stuff that keeps you fresh so you can go further distances, so you can get to your destinations, you got to pay money. I remember back in my heyday when I was hiking, I paid $15 for a, a titanium spork. Do you know what a spork is? It's a fork and a spoon mixed together that you get free from KFC. I paid $15 for a titanium. You know why? Because it was light. And then my buddy found one for $3 that was plastic, and I was like, I still have it because I paid $15 for it, right? God wants to prune burdens from your life. He wants to take things from us that, that, that keep us, that hold us back from our purpose and our destiny. There's certain things, beloved, that he's got to get rid of or else you'll never be able to achieve what he has for you. This is what Hebrews 12, 1 says. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, 
to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. By the way, who set the race before us? I did it his way, not my way. God sets the race before us. Follow the path. 2 Timothy 2.21 says this. Keep yourself pure. You'll be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Abundant life. Abundant life. He'll prune us. Abundant life will shape us. So we know this. Abundant life. If you want to live an abundant life for Christ, he sustains you. We live a life that's sustained. We know this. True life, abundant life. In that life, you'll be pruned. God will shape you because he's interested in you producing fruit. And the third thing we learn is this. God will saturate you with his presence. You live a presence-filled life. Look at John 15, 3. It says this. The words I have spoken over you have already cleansed you. So you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. I am the sprouting vine and you're my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. As we stay connected to God, one of the benefits we get from staying connected to God is his presence. He saturates us. He stays with us. He immerses us in everything that he is. The abundant life of a believer is marked with God's presence in their lives. That's one of the benefits that we get from being connected to God, his presence, intimacy. And when you live in intimacy with God, one of the benefits is this. Fear starts to dissipate. Worry starts to dissipate. All of those things that get you ramped up, that freak you out, start to dissipate. Why? Because God's presence surrounds you. And when you're surrounded by God's presence, one of the marks of his presence is peace. Peace is the potting soil for revelation. Peace is the compass that shows you that you're in alignment with the heart of God. It keeps you on the trellis, baby. Peace. If you don't feel peace, then there's a presence issue. That's what it is. Now, this is the cool thing about God's presence. His presence just doesn't stay with you so you could feel better about yourself. But his presence actually transforms you. His presence releases new life through us. When you're connected to God, his presence brings transformation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, and Dan alluded to this this morning. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 3.16 puts it this way, and I love this. It talks about people, before you know God, there's a veil that separates you from him. And he talks about how God removes a veil. He says this, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. His presence, his very presence starts to bring transformation. Now, sometimes we think this, well, we come to God, now I've got to get to work, baby. Now, discipleship, the root of that is discipline. I understand that that's part of it, but beloved, if your life is all built on you and all the things that you bring to the table, it is not enough. 
The greatest thing that you can do as a believer is get as close to Jesus as possible and allow the Spirit to begin to transform you. Some of you started that process. Some of you are here, man. The first time you came into Trinity, you're like, man, I just felt like God, I just needed to be here. You know what you did when you came into this room and you just don't know why you just came into here? You started to partner with the spirit that was at work in your life that said, you got to be in this place. And that's when transformation started for you by being obedient to God. His presence transforms us. You see, when you're saturated with God's presence, you can't help but be affected. It permeates everything. One of the, my most favorite things about the holidays is the food. I know it's shocking. But it's not just the food. It's not just eating the food. Me and Michael have talked about this before. It's the anticipation of eating the food. Is there anything better than on a Christmas day, you smell the ham cooking. You smell the lamb doing its thing. The sweet potato, the pies in the oven. And it's almost funny to me, it's like you get to the meal, and the meal's great, but it's the smelling that stuff all day, and then when the kids are small, they're like, are we going to eat yet? Are we going to You're like, no, 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 no! Because they drive you nuts, because they're, 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 they're hopped up too, baby. And then you sit down, and it's like, it's the scent permeates every inch of the house. Isn't that great? You know, especially, I remember like we would go, Robin and I, we'd go to church and we'd come back and we'd have like something in the crock pot. It's magical to me. You leave and the house is normal. You come back and it smells like pot roast. <gasps> Put that in the movie. I'll buy a ticket, right? It's just what we want. That's what it means to be saturated by God's presence. It saturates, it permeates everything in our lives. And the anticipation is irresistible. You cannot wait to get in there and just to tear into stuff. Are you with me? Thank you, Ben. <laughs> ben is with me, and he's hungry. Now, God's presence, he permeates us. He saturates us. But there's one other benefit of saturation from the presence of God. Being connected to God means this. As believers, you're commanded and empowered to bear fruit. We are fruit bearers. You cannot be a fully devoted follower of Christ and be fruitless. You can't. It's not a name that we wear. It's not a badge. It's a function. As a believer, as a disciple, we are called to bear fruit. For us, the life of believers, we are marked by the fruit that we bear. Now, the fruit that we bear is not just so you and I could be a better person. Sometimes in modern Christianity, we think it's all just about us. Well, God, if you can save me and you can change me and I can be better, then that's the end result. That is not the end result of all the things that God wants to do in your life. He saves you and he positions you and he empowers you for a purpose. Not so he can you know, dust you off and put you on the shelf and go, look what I did. No. He prepares you and he trains you because he sends us on a rescue mission. To bring back all the people that he loves. All of the image bearers that are still asleep. That's why he empowers us. His presence is just for us to hold on to. To feel good about. Now don't get me wrong, I love that. But it's designed to, to, to help you to bear fruit. So that you can not just change internally. But so you can affect the entire world around you. He gives you fruit. Love. Do you know that loving people that are unlovable 
is a spiritual miracle and it's a gift? He said this, he says, love will mark the church. Fruit. Miracles are a fruit. Laying hands on the sick and then recovering, it's all part of the fruit. Being kind to your enemies instead of giving them a piece of your mind on the Facebook is a fruit. It's all part of the fruit that he gives us. He asks us to bear fruit. Have you ever thought about this? I'm a question asker. What is the main purpose of fruit? Why, why, why do trees bear fruit? Because they're simply delicious? Was fruit about us? No. Is fruit just about our nourishment? No. Why did he give us, what's the main purpose of fruit? To deliver seeds and to multiply. Life is meant to produce life. Procreation. When you keep your faith to yourself and you make the fruit just about you and your own personal development, you don't understand the purpose of fruit. You've made it something different, something lesser. That's not the the point. That's not the purpose of fruit in life. God saturates our lives when we're connected to him so we can be empowered to live out the gospel in miraculous ways. Some of you are bored with your faith. You know why? Your faith is boring. You've reduced it to, you know, going through the Aldi's. Yay. That's not the purpose of life. That's not the purpose of faith. Faith is meant to be exciting, and you're supposed to, I'm supposed to, engage our world with fruit empowered by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Sometimes we reduce the kingdom to slogans and intellect, not power. 2 Peter 1.3 says this, Everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by his divine power. For all of this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by name and invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. He has given you everything you need to not just live your life, but to do what he asks you to do. So here's my big question. First, are you just surviving Or are you living an abundant life? God's called us to live abundantly. The second is this. What fruit are you producing? Is your fruit about you? Or are you allowing God to produce fruit in you that can be passed along, given to people, so that you can affect the world? Bow your heads. I just want you to have another conversation with the Holy Spirit. Ask him. Lord, am I living an abundant life or am I just surviving? Lord, am I bearing fruit? Listen to what he tells you. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.